Well, we want to welcome all of you to this service this morning. Are you glad you're here? Amen. We want to welcome all of you that are online. We pray that God will speak to you also. And uh, I want us this morning, this is the last message on these messages that we've done on the family. How many have enjoyed these messages? Amen. Praise the God for our pastors that have all contributed to these sermons. And this morning, I want to speak to you about what will your legacy be? What kind of legacy are you going to leave? Think about it. What will be your legacy? And I, I, I think there's times that we don't think about that. We live in a rat race and we don't think about, how am I going to be remembered when I depart this earth? And when you talk about legacy, most of us must ask ourselves, how would life be different if you recognize how brief life really is? If, you, if we really dawn on how brief life really is. And it reminds me of a prayer that David prayed in Psalm 39, verses 4 and 5. He said, Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered, how fleeting my life is. You have made my life no longer than the width of my hand, and my entire lifetime is just a moment to you. At best, each of us is but a breath. And James, in his book, chapter 4, verse 14, James, in the, in the New King James Bible, he asks a question in this verse. And the question is, what is your life? And in that same verse, James gives the answer. He said, it is but a vapor. And if you go to the uh, contemporary English version Bible, it says that you're a mist. If the NIV says, you're but a bit of smoke. Now stop and think about that. About 10 or 15 years ago, I read an article that was put out by a scientist, and they began to find out the lifespan of a vapor. And what they came up with, that a vapor is no bigger than from it starts here and it ends here. That's it. The Bible says that our life, basically, that's what it is. It is but a, a bit of smoke, a vapor, a mist. So you got to ask yourself, what kind of a life am I living? And because our lives are very brief, I'd like to talk to you about the importance of leaving a legacy. What would generations to come say about you based on the way you're living your life today? Think about that. How would, how would they be different because of the way you live today? Take your parents, for example. They must have made a difference in your life for many of you, it might be a very incredible, possible thing. Very good. You may say it was wonderful. To others, you may have a different experience. For example, what did your mom and dad impart to you in this world that was valuable? That you say, that really helped me out. And some of you would say, my dad was amazing. And you start telling stories after stories of how incredible and awesome your dad was. Others might, have, might not have that much to say. You may say, yeah, he was a hard worker. But you may not have a whole lot of good things to say about him. And some of you may cringe at the thought of having to answer that question. And you may say, my dad left us when we were little. We didn't have a dad at home. And you may not have a lot of great things to say about your dad. So how do we live a godly legacy to our children? 
I'm going to give you three simple things. This is not rocket science. This is very simple. God never made for us to leave a legacy to be complicated. He made it very simple. And the first thing we have to do is we have to say the words that God wants us to say. We have to say the words that God wants to say. We want to say to those we love, to the next generation, the things that are most important to us because to many people, you know, it doesn't work that way. A lot of people don't do that. A great example of this comes from Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived. And he was imparting wisdom to his son. And in Proverbs 4, 20 to 24, he said this, My son, pay attention to what I say. Listen closely to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to the man's whole body. And above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. He's imparting wisdom. And you are express words of wisdom and love and encouragement. Yet so many people don't do that. One of the most asked questions of people by counselors is this. Do you believe that your dad and mom was proud of you? And the greatest amount of people say, no, I don't know. I'm not sure. Very few people can answer it with a yes. It's tragic that we as parents will tell that we wouldn't tell our children how much we love them. I've had people tell me in counseling with them, I knew mom and dad loved me, but daddy just didn't express it. He, he didn't come from that generation. What do you mean he didn't come from that generation? Since when it has to be anything to do with a generation? Since when are we going to take that load of guilt and put it on something else? But a lot of people don't, don't, have not experienced that. Oh, I know they cared by feeding us and clothing us and housing us, but I never heard it coming out of their mouth. And in Matthew chapter 3, there's a story of Jesus being baptized. And as of this time in Jesus' life, he hadn't performed any miracles. There really was no significant event in his life. He was simply obedient to baptism. And the Bible says that when he came out of the water after being baptized, it says that the Father opened up heaven and spoke so that everybody that was listening could hear it. And he said, this is my son in whom I love. With him I am well pleased. What did God the Father just do? He basically said to his son, son, I love you. I love you, period. And we must be saying this to our children when they do good and listen to me, when they do bad because God loves us unconditionally. He is constant in his love for us. Whether you're bad, he loves the sinner as much as he loves the person that's saved. He doesn't change. If he can, and then he isn't God. You see, this is not a 50 or 100 yard dash we're living in a marathon. It is a lifelong, and in that race of life, there's going to come times that we trip. We're going to be on rocks. We're going to be on mountains. We're going to go through the water. We're going to go through valleys. We're going to scrape ourselves, but we get up, and we dust ourselves, and we say, devil, get behind me, and don't push. I'm going forth to leave a legacy for my children. You see, my goal as a dad 
And even as a husband is to let the good thought, not let any good thoughts go unspoken. Never. I ran into my grandson after the service and I ran and I held him and I held his face and I said, you know, I love you, don't you? She says, oh yeah, I know you love me, granddaddy. I said, I love you more than you can ever imagine. He got a smile on his face and he said, thank you, granddaddy, thank you. What's so hard about that? I want to speak every positive thought that I have to my children and my grandchildren. And this is not easy for many parents to do. And for those of you who would say, that's me, you have to work intentionally hard at converting these positive thoughts into positive words. I love you regardless. It's amazing how we can love a child because they do good and not love the other one. And then on the other hand, there's so many parents that they take all the intention of the kid that's messed up and leave the kids that do good alone because they're doing good. They need to be told they're loved too. Now let me ask you a question. If you only have 30 days to live, what would you say to those who are most important to you? If you're a parent or a grandparent, a husband or a wife, for you to leave a godly legacy, you have to say the words that God wants you to say. Not the words that come out of your mouth in a moment of anger or in a moment of madness. Because words, you see, words are spoken. And when you speak those words, you can't take those words back. These words will stick to their hearts and their minds forever, especially the negative Hard. I've heard parents tell their children, you're just stupid. You're just dumb. You see, I don't know who was the idiot who wrote the words that we all probably learned when we were little in school. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That is the biggest lie ever perpetrated on children. I'd rather you throw me, I'd rather you throw sticks and stones on me than throw words at me. Because I can heal a, a wound. I can medicate a hurt. But when it's a hurt of the heart and a hurt of the mind and the hurt of the spirit, that doesn't get healed easy. That goes for a lifetime. Here's number two: do what God sends you to do. Paul said it this way in Acts 20, 24. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying of the gospel of God's grace. Paul realized that he, had, he was on a mission. In other words, if I can share Jesus, that's all that matters. Nothing else matters. That's the only thing left undone. That is the task that I must finish to fulfill the reason why God put me here on this earth. That's Paul. That's what Paul's saying. Now, here's a question for you. What is your unfinished task? What is your unfinished assignment? What is it that God has called you and I to do? You see, for some of you, it's a profession. Father uses a big dream job or to get a promotion, to build a business, maybe to repair an old hot rod or, or to repair or redo an old house. But it could also be relational. There could be someone who's very important to you, but right now your relationship is not good and you know it. 
And you know that relationship is not good. And if you were to die today, or if that person were to die, would you regret it for the rest of your life that you left that relationship in the state that is in right now an unfinished assignment? So at this point in the message, you can say one or two things. You can say, oh me, oh God. You see, there might be loved ones right now that maybe be hurting and struggling and you've had them on your mind and you really care. But you've been thinking about them, but you haven't reached out to them to show them the love and the compassion and the forgiveness they need. There may be somebody in your life that is in need and you have the resources to meet that need and God has put them on your heart, but you haven't done anything about it. Maybe God wants you to lead your family spiritually to really be the one who disciples them in the eternal things of God, but you haven't done it yet. And I'm going to pick on you guys first. Because in our world, it's sad that so many, so many men have defaulted their responsibility of being a spiritual leader to their wives. Well, I bring home the bacon. Well, big deal. I work. That's her job. No, it isn't. It's your job. You read your Bible. God says it's your job. She will help. Yes. There's plenty of children's devotions and materials out there and videos that you can pull out in just 15, 20 minutes. Take them to an exciting, not get the Bible and start pounding on their heads, but take them to every day to teach them something, learn them something. Let them grow in the faith that you're taking time. When you sit at the table to eat, that you hold hands or whatever, but pray. That you teach them what it is to really touch God. Because let me tell you, it isn't the church's responsibility. Listen to me, this is going to be a shocker to some of you. It isn't the church's responsibility to disciple you or your children. That's the biggest lie has been perpetrated in America. No, no, no. All we do is supplement you. You only hear about an hour and a half per service and 20 to 25 minutes of that time is spent in the commons area fellowship, which is great. We need that. But there's no way that we can grow you the way you need to grow. We can supplement you and we supplement you through the preaching of God's word, through the, life, through the small groups and, and other things we provide for the teenagers and for the children. But it's up to you to take the word of God and to feed your family. It's no different than if you're out there as an adult and you get hungry, you're not going to come to the church for us to give you real food. You're going to go to a restaurant and get fed. So the same way we physically feed ourselves, we got to spiritually feed ourselves. It all depends on where your priorities are. Your children come to children's church. They come to the different children's program. The youth come to thrive. And praise God for that. And the, our team supplement and give them something to go by and help them. But they spend more time with you than they do in the house of God. So it's your responsibility at home to disciple your children and for you to grow. Some of you are saying, oh my God. So what is your unfinished assignment? If you want to leave a godly legacy, in order to do so, we're going to say the words that God wants us to say, and we're going to do the things that God wants us to do. And here's number three. Live how God wants you to live. Live. 
how God wants us to live. It's so sad to see many people who call themselves believers, who hear what God's word says, and then they say, nah, I don't want that. I'm going to do my own thing. This is 2021, man. We're going to do our own thing. That stuff is old time. That stuff is behind time. Oh, really? The word of God is just as real today. Listen, the word of God will be just as real and just as true as the newspaper that's going to come out five, ten, ten years from now. We're still here. It ain't going to change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His principle, his truth never change. And it's our responsibility to take the word of God and to put it in their heart. And it's so sad to see many people who call themselves believers that don't do that and they take the issue, I'm going to do my own thing. Well, you're going to live that way. But remember, one day there's going to be a gathering of your family members. But you won't be there. Because you see, you already bit the dust. You're pushing daisies. You have died. Like the old cartoons, some of you young people don't know, it's curtains. <laughs> you see, you're not going to be around. Oh no, you've left the earth. The gathering of your family is going to be all about you. And it will fall into two different categories. Let me give you the first one. It's horribly wonderful. Where there'll be a sense, a sense of sadness. Of loss and tears and joy. There'll be stories that'll be, that'll be told. They'll bring laughter in the midst of the tears. I'm not talking about perfection. Because none of us can be perfect in being a parent. But in the midst of imperfection, they see that you strive to live for the Lord and strive to deposit into them something that God would take on from generations. We're talking about faithfulness to God, to your spouse, to your children, to your church. Someone else in the family will tell a touching story and there'll be hugs and tears and prayers and God's presence will be there to bring peace and to bring comfort to the Holy Spirit. And it's horribly, but it's wonderful. Then there's another category. And this is just horribly sad. And let me tell you, since 1972, I have preached hundreds of funerals. I have preached some of the saddest funerals you'd ever want to see. I have been at a graveside when the only people there was me and a couple of the guys from the funeral home. And when I tried to call the family members, we ain't going. He didn't care. She didn't care. We got nothing for them. We can care less. Shocking. I have met with families after the death of a person and gone into a home and you could cut the resentment and the bitterness with a knife when you walk in. They're sitting there like this. And you begin to ask a few questions so you can get understanding and we got nothing to say about him or her. That's sad. 
I've had funerals where, where they barely had to encourage a few to come so they won't look bad. And when they came, they sat, sat distance from each other because they didn't like each other nor the person that had passed away. How in the world do you preach a funeral like that? Horribly sad. They're depressing. They're heartbreaking. And here's how they go. Tell me about your loved one. What did your loved one stand for? What was the greatest memory you had of them? What was really important to them? And they start scratching their head and thinking, uh, um. and someone finally says, well, well, he likes spicy food. Someone else, yeah, spicy food, that, that butt-beaten spicy food. Yeah. I could say it another way, but I won't. <laughs> Tell me about your mom. Oh, mom, um, she was a good gardener. Yeah, she loved garden flowers, water, dirt, garden. I mean, she had boxes of, you know, uh, of all kinds of stuff. And I mean, the roses and herbs. Every window had a box of herbs. She was the herb lady for the community. What else can you tell me about him? And there's this awkward silence that comes in. Then someone says, well, he surely loved golfing. Heck, he was a great golfer. I'm pretty sure I could see him right now up in heaven in a cloud golfing. Really? Horribly sad. James 1, says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself, but do what it says. In fact, there's another verse in James that says, what man looks at a mirror and sees himself for what he is and soon leaves and forgets what he saw. That means what man looks at the Bible and the Bible exposes you for what you really are, for what's in you, and you put it down and say, ah, forget that. That's the mirror we're talking about. Do not merely listen to it. Let it speak to you. Let it correct you. Let it challenge you, comfort you, convict you. And when it does, you'll leave a legacy that will outlast you and outlast generations to come because that's what we want. You see, this is not, you see, this is the difference between help and, and getting the legacy right and not getting the legacy right. Because it's the difference that helps you Put that legacy up as a priority in your life. And when the word of God begins to change you, you love people the way Jesus loved them. You are patient and kind. There is no envy, no pride, no self-seeking, no, no goal. You're not easily angered. You don't delight in evil, but replace it with truth. You love and protect your relationship with Christ and, take on, and it takes on a different depth that leads to a great legacy. Church, I'm not talking about living a perfect Christian life. And none of us can do that. I was raised in legalism. I am, I am respectful and I do appreciate that legacy, but it was hard. There was no room for error. We're sinners saved by grace. That's what we are. But God says, I can help you through my spirit, through my word. If you make up your mind to make this a priority, I can help you to be the parent that you can leave a legacy for your children. And when you're no longer here and your children and family gather to reminisce about your life, there'll be tears and there's going to be joy and peace and laughter and more tears, but it's going to be horribly wonderful. 
in many funeral services that I've preached at the end, I usually say to the family, cry. You're going to cry. The Bible says that Jesus wept. You weep. Nothing wrong in weeping. But go home and sit around the table. Eat some food together. Take out the album pictures. Put them on the table and start looking at them. Start talking about those stories of the vacations you had at children. And as you go to the fishing trips, whatever, whatever, how he was. Even the corky ways that daddy and mommy were. Just talk about it. Laugh about it. Enjoy yourself. Reminisce. You have a good legacy to talk about. The scripture says in 1 John 2.17, the world and his desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. Not just eternally with God in heaven, which is where you'll, you'll go to live, but you'll live forever even in generations to come. And can you imagine one day if you've got great, you got grandchildren and great-grandchildren who would say, our family is different because years ago, my mom and dad lived and they left a legacy. They were willing to do what had to be done to leave us Jesus Christ as our legacy. And because of the way you follow Christ and because of what you do and you stood for, we're here. Miriam and I have a legacy. And I'm going to show you. I want that first picture to come up. This is Miriam's mom and dad. Both of them came from godly homes. I don't even remember how many uncles and aunts you have. There was a bunch on his side and on her side. All served the Lord. All in church. A lot of them are not here no more. But you know what? Miriam's cousins all serve God. They're all in churches all over Mississippi and Alabama. And in Starkville, Mississippi. Today we have Dozens and dozens of nieces and nephews scattered all over the South that live for God. They love the Lord. They're raising children in the fear and the admonition. Were these people perfect? No, they weren't perfect. This woman right here, she was just a simple country woman. One of the best country cooks you could ever. Listen, let me tell you, I love going to a house. But let me tell you something about her that I learned. And I didn't mention this in the first service. When I met Miriam at First Assembly of God Church in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, then we started a dating. One day I came to visit and we went to church and she said, uh, let's go to mama's Sunday school class. I said, she teaches Sunday school? She said, yeah, she teaches the adult Sunday school class. I said, what? Now, you remember, I was you know, 22 years old, you know? And, and I walked into this room and this whole, I'm serious, this room was full of adults. And then I realized, Miriam introduced me to many of them. These were people that I, a lot of them worked at the University of Alabama. These were educated people. And there was all kind of people there. But a lot of them were educated. And I'm sitting here thinking, oh my God, how is this going to come off? Because she's country. I learned quick, you don't undermine country people. I love country people. I mean, I do. And that woman opened her notebook and her Bible and she began to speak. And the Spirit of God just began to speak out of her. Unbelievable. I, I sat there and I'm going, oh my God, where in the world did she get that? She had those people eating at the palm of her hands, just like that. And years later, when she was no longer teaching, I was, we were at her house. 
She was raised, she don't want me to tell you, she was raised in Gordon, Mississippi. <laughs> and we were at her house, and she used to call me, and I don't know why, I try to get her to do it. She called me Pastor Ron or Brother Ron, you know, and she said, I, I want to give you something. And the Sunday school curriculum that the church used ran for seven years. She gave me all her seven-year notebooks of notes. Notes. I still got them. And one day, Jason was in my office, and he said, Daddy, what, what, what's these notebooks up here? I said, take one down and look at it. He's sitting there looking at it. He's going, reading it. He goes, oh, my God. Did you come up with this? I said, what, you think I, you think I don't have the, gut, the ability to come up with that? <laughs> he said, this is wonderful, Dad. I said, that's Big Mama. She said, what? That's her Sunday school lessons. See, that's the heritage that we have. Let me show the next picture. I know I'm taking a little more time now, but you guys ain't going away anyway. <laughs> Look at this Molly crew. My sister Carmen on the right, she has gone on to be with the Lord, her and her husband. She raised three children. One is a doctor, one is in real estate, and the other one is a female, pastors of more church. They all live in Florida. All her children and grandchildren serve God. Bob, the one to the left, the other two at the right there, we three were idiots. We got into drugs and did all kind of bad stuff. I'm the second one on the right there. John, my brother, stay faithful to the Lord. He's got a tremendous ministry. He travels all through the Spanish-speaking world and even in the United States preaching and teaching. My sister Lillian lives in Dallas. She serves the Lord. All because of these two right here. My mom never taught a class, never sang in the choir. My mom was a very quiet woman. I would consider her in her way also a country woman. But my mother prayed. And every day when we come home for lunch and we went, out, we went back to school because she wouldn't let us eat lunch at school. She was old time. No, I'm going to cook you a lunch from scratch. So we got that every day. Then she'd go into her bedroom and I remember coming home sometimes early and even when I was on drugs sneaking to the house and I could hear my mother in the bedroom praying, calling out on the Lord. God, there's John, there's Bob, there's Ron, there's David, there's Lily. I know you got your, my, your hand on my children. Devil, they're not, they're not, you're not going to destroy. Me and my house will serve God. And the devil has tried to destroy this legacy. He ain't going to succeed. He is not going to succeed. Show me the next picture. This is one of my dad. I've had this picture for over 25 years in my, in my office, in my desk, in my little drawer. I look at it all the time, and I thank God for this guy right here. He started a church with five people in 1948 and pastored that one church for 25 years. That church is still exists. That church in, since 1948 has only had five pastors. Him and the, first, the next two were all saved under his ministry, and he mentored them. The other guy that came was a great man of God who passed away from cancer, and they have a new guy. In 2019, Miriam and I were in New York City. We took an extra day, and I told her, we're going to go to the old neighborhood. I'm going to show you that whole neighborhood. We spent a whole day there. We walked 65 city blocks, went to this big 20-acre park that was on a mountain that always saw the Hudson River, that Statue of Liberty, and the New York skyline. 
ate in several restaurants over there. We ate when we didn't want to eat. We just wanted to eat. We ate. The last two places we went, we went down to 47th Street between 4th and 5th to the house that I was born and raised in. And from there, we went down the street to the church that Daddy pastored. He led that church in 1960 to build a building with central air, central heat. That has never been duplicated in New York City because that doesn't happen in New York. You either buy a box building and you turn it or you take an old church and revitalize it. Now, in New York City, they don't leave the church doors unlocked. No more than you leave your homes unlocked. So there was a big parking lot that had a fence around it, and I saw a guy going through, and I called him. He happened to be the janitor of the church, and he came, and I, I said, is the pastor here? He said, no, he won't be here till this afternoon. I said, oh, okay. So I told him who I was. He told me who he was, and when I gave him my name, he, he, he said, what was your name again? I said, Ron Delgado. His eyes opened. He said, are you related to the founder of this church? I said, yeah, I'm his son. Man, that guy leaped on me and Miriam and hugged us. He said, oh, my God. We're so grateful for your father. I never met your dad. I wasn't here when that happened. But to know that he had the vision to plant this church in this community, that this city, this, this part of the city has benefited many hundreds and thousands that come to Jesus because this church has been here. He said, Would you wanna, you, I'll let you in the building. You wanna, and we went in the building and sat down. And I sat there and looked. And I sat there in that building looking around, and I reminisced when I was a kid, when I was a rebellious teenager. All the services, I could hear the tambourines going. <laughs> oh, I could, hear, I could see them running around the building. I mean, they were Pentecostals, man, straight up Pentecostals, man. Let me tell you, there was no joking around with dumb people, man. Sunday night service was bigger than the Sunday morning service. I mean, they, they, had, they had church, let me tell you. And I told them a lot of stories that I knew happened. And I told him a few things that we did, bad things that we did in that church. He laughed. But that's the heritage. Was it, is it perfect? No. But you know what? It's going to live forever. And I'm determined that it's going to live forever because the devil is not going to win. The devil is a liar. And I would give anything to have our grandchildren and great-grandchildren say years later that in our family till this day, there are thousands of people because of what Ron and Miriam Delgado stood for. Ron wasn't perfect, but he was a man of God. Miriam wasn't perfect, but she was a woman of prayer and a faithful woman of God. They were different. And if you also want that, you have to live the way God wants you to live. And we need to live by our convictions that God has given us instead of our preferences. Too many people are living by their preferences. What is a conviction? It is a belief that's on the inside that always shows up on the outside. And what is a preference? It is a strong desire that you will compromise when the cost becomes too high. And too many people are living by their preferences. Let me give you an example. Oh, I prefer to be a tither, uh, but until money gets tight, then I won't do it. I prefer family time, but here's what you say. I prefer family time, but I've got softball, and I got civic clubs, and I got this, and I got the other. My wife goes to PTO, and my kids have soccer and dance and ballet and piano so that we don't eat together. We haven't had a meal together in weeks, and we don't really see each other for days at a time, and we really have no significant family time. That's why 
the family in America is going down the tubes. And we can point the finger at the world because it's happening there, but it's happening in the house of God too. We prefer it, but it's something we give up when things get tough. Convictions are what on the outside that always shows up on the outside. So if you want your family at your funeral to say, oh, he loved that butt-kicking spicy food. She was a great gardener boy. She loved roses. He was, he was a great golfer. And then go ahead and live by your preferences. But if you want generations to come to say we were different, we are closer, because, closer to God because of him. And there's so many people, we can't even count on them who have influenced us to follow Christ and live by the convictions of God. Say what God wants you to say. Do what God wants you to do. Live how God wants you to live. And they may want, maybe some of you here this, this morning that may say, Pastor Ron, I didn't serve the Lord and I'm already up in my years. I didn't raise my family and God, I came to Jesus late in life. Is it possible for me to leave a legacy? Yes, it's never too late. The Bible says as long as there's life, there's hope. You can leave a legacy. Go on and live for your children now. Show Jesus to them. Don't shove Christianity on your throat. Don't play God on them. Every time they come to your house, when you didn't do it before, said, hey, can we all bow our heads and let me pray? When you have your children, pray with them. Let them see that you don't longer drink and smoke and do and say the things you used to say. And they're going to say, ooh. Oh, they may not say it to you, but in their heart, God is working on them. And I'm going to give you a secret. And that is your grandchildren. That's your ticket right there. Go tell your children, your adult children, hey, can I take the kids to children's church? Can I and bring them here to children's church? They go back there to children's church. Man, it's great. They're going to learn the word of God. They're going to learn. They're going to have fun. It's going to be exciting. And they're going to go home with stories. And they're going to tell mama and daddy, you know what Jesus said? You know, there's a heaven, there's a hell. Which one are you going to do? Because kids have no, they'll say what they want. That's right. And they'll say, mom and daddy, why don't you come to church? All the other kids, mom and daddy, come to church. And the day that you can't let them come to church, they're going to have a cry out. They're going to really give you a hard time. And if you've got teenagers, bring them to Thrive. Talk to the leadership of Thrive. They'll help them out and, and get them involved. Get them, get them so they can love. And one day, you can bring them to the Vibrance Kids Conference coming up. Pay for it. Bring them. Tell mom and dad. Tell them, hey, we're going to give you a break. Bring those kids to the conference. Get them exposed. You do that, let me tell you, those kids will lead their mother and father to Jesus. Wow. Out of the mouths of babes, the Bible says. It's never too late. Start now and live a godly life and a godly example. And that's all what God needs to use to get your children, your adult children, back into the kingdom of God. Proverbs 22, 6 says, train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, that verse has been so misunderstood by preachers as well as parents, because I've heard preachers and parents say, well, that means that my kids will grow up in church, but then they can leave church and grow, go sow their wild oats and go do their thing, but that one day, like it's a guarantee, they're going to come back. That's not what it says. What it says is that if you're faithful to raise your children in the fear of God and you train them right, they will stay in church. They will serve God. The same power, that saving power, could be keeping power. Now, there is, there, it is true 
that even children that are raised in church and nurtured in the admonition of the word of God will stray from God, but they can never get away from the prayers of their parents and the seed of God's word that has been planted in their hearts. I don't know what you're waiting for. Life is brief. It is a vapor amidst. It appears for a little while and it vanishes. It's time to do it right. And if, if, if life came to an end for you today, would you be thrilled and excited? And I'm not talking about whether you want to die or live. I'm talking about your legacy. What would, what would generations be? Would they be different because of your life? Or are there some changes that you need to make? And I'm going to end with a story. I read a story about a pastor's conference that took place. And many prominent pastors were invited to be partakers of the conference. And in one of the sessions, they had a question and answer session. Joel and Victoria Alstein were there. And I don't, I, I'm not interested in whether you like them or not. That's not the issue. But there were speakers at this conference. John Alstein, Joel's father, founded the Lakewood Church in Houston, Texas in 1959. A great spirit-filled preacher. Miriam and I for many years watched him. And I still go to YouTube and watch him from time to time. Great and courage, great man of the word of God. Very simple teaching, but very powerful teaching. And someone asked Joel a question. And they asked the question, tell us about your dad. And when he heard that question, immediately Joel was moved with deep emotion and started weeping. And somebody got a box of tissues and they handed him one after the other as he sobbed every tissue up. Just moved. Another prominent pastor that was there who happens to be pastor of one of the biggest churches in America, he was there and he observed that. And this is what he said. He said, Joel was overwhelmed with emotion, admiration and love and respect for his dad. He went on to say, it just dawned on me that one day I'll be gone and someone is going to ask my children, tell me about your dad. And if they are overcome with emotion and love like that, I, and even a fraction of that, I would consider myself to be the most successful people that have ever lived in the world. Can that be said about you and I? Paul speaks to his son Timothy in the faith. In 2 Timothy 1.5, he's clearly recalling your sincere faith that first lived in your grandmother Lois and then in your mother Eunice. And that I am convinced in you. That's legacy. And you know what that was a legacy? That was a legacy. From what I can tell, there was no fathers involved. That was two women who took it upon themselves. You mamas that are raising children by yourself, don't worry about it. Feed Jesus to them. Feed Jesus to them. Get them in church. God is going to honor you. They will hold you high as a Proverbs 31 woman. And Paul finished finish the race. This is how he finishes in 2 Timothy 4, 6 and 8. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. In the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And finally there is laid up to me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not only to me only, but to all those who have loved his appearing. Is that great? He finished his assignment. Are you ready? Are you ready? Life is brief. 
It is. I want us to bow our heads. And maybe you're here and you really have to say with honesty, I need to get right with God. What I need is to get my life right with the Lord. I strayed. Or maybe I've never really accepted Jesus. Listen, I'm not asking you to give your life to this church or to any preacher. We, we didn't die for you. I'm not asking you to give your life to a denomination. I'm asking you to give your life to Jesus as a relationship, to trust him as your Savior, if you haven't. I don't care what you've done, what you've been doing, it doesn't matter. Jesus says, come the way you are, man, I'll help you, and we'll help you. If you can get yourself right, you will have no need to be here or even need God, but we need him. And if you want, right now, I'm not going to ask you to come up here to stand but if you would like to say, Pastor Ron, I, I, I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life. I want to know that I know that if death was to knock on my door, that I'm going to enter the gates of heaven and know that Jesus will receive me. I want a security of my salvation. If that's what you want and you desire that, I just want you to raise your hand and put it down very quickly. You say, Pastor, pray for me. Praise God. Amen. I want everybody here to pray with me. I want you to pray after me. Say, dear Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Forgive me of all of my transgressions. I understand that I'm a sinner, but I understand that you're going to be my Savior. I surrender my life to you, my heart to you, my thoughts to you, my all to you. Write my name in the Lamb's Book of Life. Fill me with your Spirit. Guide and direct my life that I may live a life that leaves a legacy. I thank you for your love and your compassion to me. In your name we pray. Keep your heads bowed. Maybe you have to say, you know, Pastor Ron, I love my family. I try to do the best I can, but we've been so busy. We put things in the back burner and, 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 and we have somehow skipped the line here. We need to get back on track. And I want to make a commitment this morning that I'm going to get back on track with that legacy. I want to get back on track and taking the time with my children and doing what I've got to do. And maybe if you haven't done it, we're not here to guilt trip you or put you down. We're here to encourage you. I just said, I want you to raise your hand and say, Pastor, I want to leave a legacy for my children. I just want you to raise your hand right now. Come on, hands are up and all over this building. I want to leave a tremendous godly legacy for my family. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for all these that raise their hand. I pray for every family unit, whether there's a father or a mother or a single parent, Father. I pray that you bless them, whether it's a young couple, a middle-aged couple, or a couple who came to Jesus late in life, that they can continue living for God and a legacy can be left behind. Father, I pray that you bless every family that's in this building, every family that's part of this church, and even those that are not here. Father, that you, through your Spirit, will guide us and through your word to leave a legacy. Not perfection, but faithfulness. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. God bless you.